John chapter 21, if you're, if you're following along in your Bibles. I wanted to take the time after we came, came through Easter to actually sit and look at some of the episodes in Jesus' life between the resurrection and the ascension, or basically his ascension to heaven, which happens in 40 days, and at 50 days at Pentecost, you have the pouring of the Holy Spirit out on the church. You really essentially have the birth of the church. And I thought it might be nice to look at some of the episodes inside that are taking shape. And I want to give a context to John chapter 21. I happen to love John chapter 21. I love John chapter 20. I love most of John. How many of you love John? How many of you like the book of John? Um, as I've been watching through the Chosen series, I've, I've, I've gained a whole new appreciation for John. Uh, I, I've started to watch John in a different way, and maybe in a different light, and it's giving me a different interpretation to who he is. And what I love about him is his detail, but I love that he's always around. How many of you are, have always been around the church? You've kind of just been around. And, and people would say, well, they've been around. And, and you've... At, precise and perfect times actually come together and said, you've seen something. And, and in the Gospel of John, John sees something. He always brags about the fact that he hangs out with Jesus the most. How many of you hang out with Jesus a lot and you brag about it? And that arrogance kind of slips over to the point where he calls himself basically the one who Jesus is blessed. I'm the blessed one. I'm his favorite one. How many of you feel like his favorite one? I do. I love, I love feeling like his favorite one. The beautiful thing about God's economy is you're his favorite one too. And, and I think we need to be in a position where we're asking ourselves, okay, what is John really teaching us in these episodes in the book of John? And there's one highlighted here that I think is real interesting. And I want to I go through it. I want to break it down. Between the two times of the Old Testament and the New Testament, before Jesus came, they call it the intertestamental time period. And in that time period, God was working, but the Jews saw it as a silent period, that somehow God wasn't really doing anything for them. There was no canon of scripture. There was no scripture that was being added in. It was just this silent period in which God was not speaking. Well, the truth of the matter is he's always speaking. Can I get an amen? Yes. Where's Gloria when I need her? I need an amen. Amen. Or, you just tell her that today when you see her, please. We need an amen. The, the reality is God is always speaking. And he's doing it here. But it seems like for the disciples, somewhere between time periods. Oh yeah, I saw Jesus. He died. He's, he's, he's come to us in the upper room. Um, but I still haven't fully grasped what he's done, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off for Galilee. I, I, I wonder if they're disillusioned, probably, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe they're doing exactly what God had told them to do. We're told in the scriptures here that actually he told them to go wait in Galilee. And I think it's interesting because I've always come to the conclusion that maybe John and Peter and all those guys just got so disillusioned with what they saw in Jerusalem that they went back to Galilee to their former life. 
And I've heard that preached so often. And then I read the text. And the text actually says that they were instructed to go there. So as in instruction, they went faithfully to wait. And I want to pick it up there. And it says this, that later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. This is how it happened. Several of his disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. We don't know who those two other disciples really are. Um, some have speculated that it could have been Andrew. Some could have, some suggest it might have been Thaddeus. Some say Philip. We just don't know. But there's a word that starts out the whole of the chapter that really should be very important for each one of us today. It's the Greek word metatauta. It's the word that we get after. After. How many times do you live in the possibility and wonder of the word after? After my wedding, after I start my new job, after the baby comes, after we move, how many times does after really guide our whole lives? After I'm done with my work week, after church, I get to go eat. Coffee time is after by my own confession, I live in a world that I'll get to it after. I can't wait until I'm no longer sick after. And John says, I want to share something really important with you after. The seven disciples gathered together, and he names those five, and then he says there's two more. And I want to say this. The challenge of life is that we tend to live in the after moments. Amen? We don't live in the present moments. We live after. Because we're a society that continues to go forward. We're constricted by time, are we not? We love to live in time. How many of you would agree that you are British and you love time? Um, who can tell me from, from the grandstand one thing that runs on time or is supposedly supposed to work on time in this society? Trains, buses, planes, what else? Sermons. I'll be talking to you later. Um, <laughs> that will be after. The truth of the matter is we live in a world of after. And they did too. But Simon Peter, recognizing after, it says this, that Simon Peter in verse 3, I'm going fishing. So after all that he dealt with, all that he'd gone through, he knows he's been instructed to go to Galilee. We're told that in the text. But he decides, I'm going to go fishing. And we're told that he must have been relatively convincing. We all know that Peter's kind of got this persona of being a little brash, don't we? Not you, Peter. Uh, a different Peter. Peter has this brashness about him in which he says, come on, we're going to do this. Jesus, I'll never deny you. He's so straightforward. 
But wouldn't you say this, that sometimes good leaders know exactly what they need to do and when they need to do it? Or maybe they just know what they need to do and they go after doing it. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And what do all the disciples do? We'll come to. We'll come to, verse, verse 3. They said, so they went out into the boat and they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing at the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, friends, have you caught any fish? Notice, notice what happens. We'll come to. Great leaders, just as a caveat, great leaders have people who come with them. And they'll follow them at almost any cost. Why? Because they recognize that they're moving in a direction. Can you imagine if we're called to just sit idle? I don't think that. I think he's moving from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27, where it says that we're not to, to embrace idleness, but actually we need to get to moving. And sometimes the practical reality of just moving, as Peter is doing, will initiate the call of God in our lives. When Paul stands up here and says, I'm here to be, ordered, I'm, I'm here to be inducted into this role, and, and, and we pray over him, and we, we kind of push him into that place, guess what happens? All of a sudden, it, is, it wasn't that he was just all of a sudden brought up here. He's been working. He's been moving, he's been serving, he's been engaged. Peter, for three years, had been engaged, moving, working, established. And what does he do? He goes fishing. Now, maybe scholars are right, or maybe the preaching is right that he was disillusioned a bit, and so he went back to his old job. Maybe it's because that's what he knew to do. Maybe as we sit idle, sometimes we go back to what we used to do. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever followed old patterns in your life? Don't raise your hands. How many of you follow patterns in your life as it is? How many of you wake up in the morning and you do the same pattern? How many of you literally get out of your bed and you follow the exact same pattern for the first 10 to 15 minutes of your life? just so that you feel better. We all get put into patterns. And notice what has happened here. They've been put into a pattern. John is picking up something. He's saying, wait a second, this is a pattern. At dawn, Jesus standing on the beach. Friends. And they said, no, they replied. Notice what happens. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. If you could just turn a few pages over to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. I find this absolutely fascinating. Because in Mark... Chapter 6, verse 45, we find something unique happening. Immediately after this, verse 45, Jesus insisted his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. They've, to they've gone basically back onto the water while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Did you ever read that before? He was just going to pass by. But they saw him walking on the water, and they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. And they were all terrified, and they saw him. 
Jesus said, don't be afraid. Take courage, I'm here. He climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They're in a boat again. And this time, out of the decision of their own heart, they've gotten back into the boat. Last time they were instructed to go. This time they've made a decision. They've gone back into that boat. But this time, the disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John, saying, I'm loved of God. I'm his favorite one. The one that he loves the most said to Peter, so we know that John and Peter are together, it's the Lord. Can you, how many of you like to brag when you see God doing something? Do you like to, yes, it's the Lord. How many of, how many of you, when God works in your life, you, you give him glory and you say, gosh, that's the Lord. In the last number of weeks, I've just seen the Lord moving in so many different ways and so many different capacities that I'm like, it's the Lord. And I love what John does. He says, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed in the boat and pulled the load of the net to shore for there were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking and over an open charcoal fire with some bread. Another pattern. But this time... Jesus has met Peter in a different way. See, the last time that Peter was around a charcoal fire, we're told, was when he was denying Jesus three times. And John makes it very deliberate in his story that Peter was denying God, but now Peter is actually receiving from God something beautiful. John 18, 18 gives that whole account in which the charcoal fire is burning. Don't you know him? I don't know him. Certainly you must have known him. He's a, you're a Galilean. You must have been with that Jesus. I'm telling you, I don't know him. And then bested by a little girl who says, you were with him. I don't know him. And then we all know the story, the cock crows. Fulfilling the, the words of Jesus who said, you'll deny me three times. Notice what he says then. In this instance, he says, I'm going to feed you even though you deny me. Have we all denied the Lord at times? If we're really honest, we've all struggled and we continue to struggle. And yet God in his grace it's a great picture of him coming back to you and saying, I'm here. I want to give you. I have good things for you. I, I want you to know what I've got for you. And, but I'm going to use you. Bring some of the fish you caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I, I did some research on the 153 fish. Um, and I heard a lot of different theories. And one theory I had heard, which I think was debunked, was, was that that is literally the, the phrase in, in Hebrew kind of tetragrammatoning and, and numerics 
God saves. Now, there were debates on that. And I thought, well, maybe John just wanted us to know that God is a God who provides. 153. And not only 153, because they couldn't bring all of them in. But I want to give more to you than you've ever had. And I think, I think there's this place in our hearts and our minds in which we can actually say, I, I want more, but I don't know how to get more. And then all of a sudden, God comes. Um, yesterday, when I was spending time with Jesus for this sermon, I went to Starbucks, and I was sitting there, and I had ordered a coffee, and, um, and I was sitting in there, and there was no one in there except me. And while I was there inside of Starbucks, I was talking to the Lord and I was praying and I, I was thinking of all the different people who have needs in our congregation. And, and I was saying, Lord, um, uh, can, you, can you meet this need? And can you, can you come to that person? And I, I was writing notes and I, I had my computer up and then all of a sudden it died. And uh, I, I didn't have any power. And I was like, okay, well, Lord, what are you doing here? And, and he... While I was there, he had this song that kept playing in my, in my earbuds. And you know how I love songs, amen? I won't ask you to sing this one because I just learned it yesterday. Um, but but it, it, it was this chorus. And I sent it, I sent it to you guys. I, I, uh, some of you I sent it to. And it, it says, tell me what moves you. I want to know. I want to know. And while, while that's happening, I, I have these tears running down my face. And I'm really kind of to the point where I'm like, I'm going to come undone here. I, 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 it's been a busy week. There's a lot of things that we've gone through. There's, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot. And I'm like, Lord, I just want to know you. Tell me what moves you. I want to know. I want to know. Tell me what moves you. I want to know. Tell me what moves you. Tell me what moves you. Tell me what moves you. And it over and over. And then I thought it was interesting. Um, it, it says this. It, this woman comes on and, is it a fragrance? And, and she says, then I'll pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Then here I give my vows. Is it a song I sing? Then here's every melody. Tell me what moves you. What moves you? In this instance, for Peter, it's the Lord coming to him. And I, I don't know what's going on in Peter's mind, I've got to be honest with you, and no one does really. Who knows the hearts and the thoughts of man except God? But I do know this that Peter was willing to be in the presence of God. And when he heard and saw the Lord, even if he didn't fully understand who he was, because it says right there in the text that they didn't really recognize him. He jumped out of that boat and he started swimming towards him because I want to know you. I want to know your heart. What do you want from me? Have you ever asked that question? What do you want from me? Because it's going to cost you. 
The fragrance, the nard, costs you something. For Peter, it was going to cost him his life, his confession, his vow. I will go with you wherever. Although I have failed you, I will go. And we're told later on in the text that he was told by the Lord exactly how he was to die. I will lay down my life for you. Here's my vow. So what does the Lord ask? Well, it says this. God invited them to breakfast, verse 12. And none of the disciples, not one of those seven, actually said, it's Jesus. They, they knew who it was. The, the Greek word is to know. They remembered. They remembered what he had told them. Ido, the Greek word. They knew deep in their hearts, this is the Lord. And Jesus served them with bread and fish. Another pattern, another reminder that I can do anything I want to do in your life if you would just come to me. And then in verse 15, after, metatauta, after breakfast, the question came. After I've filled you with good things, the question comes. After I've provided for you more than you'll ever know, the question comes. Do you love me? I am. Um, I love the Lord. And I know that in my heart. And even in those moments at Starbucks and the various places and driving in the car, I know that the Lord has been faithful continuously to draw me and people that I know, you, back into his presence. But we have to be in a position like Peter, who said, I was instructed to go to the Galilee, and I'm waiting. If Peter had not obeyed the instruction, he would not be in the presence or in the right position to meet with God. Everything God does in our lives is a preparation to some extent for the after. You know I love you, God. Then feed my lambs. Properly look out for them. Pastor them. Feed them. At Downfield Mains, one of the key things that I think is really important is that we continue to seek the word of God together. We continue to grow in discipleship. We continue to get involved in small groups and various groups that we have. And I know that there's been, been asks for people to be a part. And if you're outside right now, kind of floating around, God's calling you back into that place. Why? Because every life in this place matters. We need each other. Just as the disciples needed each other, we need each other. Just as as Jesus needed Peter, Peter needed Jesus. I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then he said, take care of my, of my sheep. Shepherd them, love them. All of you have people in your lives who God's called you to shepherd, whether it's a child, a grandchild, friend, spouse, people you don't even know from different countries. Calls you into shepherding. 
It's not just Peter's job. It's all of our jobs as the body of Christ to shepherd the people of God, to love one another as Christ loved us. And then the third time to reverse the curse that he had spoken over his own life. And how many of you have spoken curses over your own life? In patterns, we speak curses over our own lives. We get into destructive patterns at times in which things come and we just can't break out. In psychology, sometimes they call them, and I was reading this, sometimes they call them triggering events. It just triggers us. And all of a sudden, we're following the same pattern we used to follow, and yet God says, I want to come into that, and I want to give you a new pattern. I've got a new pattern for you. If you just, if you just listen, you just come to me. It's interesting that when Peter was hurt, because the Lord had asked him a third time. He was really frustrated. He was hurt. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And it's interesting. He uses the same word that he used in the first one, Bosco. But, but in this context, it would have been used differently in the Greek. It would have been this. It would literally be, I kiss. I kiss. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if in real life, when he said that, and they have their arms around each other, uh, you know, Jews actually are pretty affectionate. They love to touch, and, you know, literally, maybe John said, I kissed him. I kissed Jesus. I kissed him on the cheek, and I said, I love you. You know I love you. And that affection comes across as I kiss. Now, we know that you can kiss in one way. Judas did that, but you can kiss in another way. And you can kiss with affection. Reversing the curse that we speak over our lives. And I want to say this. If you've spoken over your own life, I'm no good. I'll never amount to that. I don't, I don't have what that person has. And you compare yourself. I want to say this. God wants to break that off of you today. Because it's not true. God has plans for you. God has callings on all of us. So Paul's calling has a unique, specific aim. Your calling in this, in this body of Christ has a specific aim that you bring us to the fulfillment of unity. And when somebody doesn't fulfill their call, guess what happens? All suffer. We just don't reach the maturity that Natalie was talking about. In Ephesians chapter 4, we just don't reach it. And yet, we can. And I want to pray for us. And I want to ask you this. Are there things that you've set out on the side of your life? Maybe they were callings. Maybe they were dreams. Maybe they were things that you had in your heart. Um, and you've lived maybe a bit like Peter where he, you're, you're being obedient. You're doing the right thing. And yet, you just aren't seeing God. See, when we move into those patterns, we can become blinded. It says it right here. None of the disciples asked him, who are you? They knew who he was. Then Jesus served them bread. The disciples, this was the third time that God had been raised from the dead. Did you know that sometimes we can actually miss Jesus by having a hard heart and missing what God has for us? says that in the scriptures. Did you know that? Not in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. That their hearts were hard. 
The disciples just didn't know what Jesus was doing because their hearts were hard. Mark chapter 6. I've had a hard heart at times. I've shared that with you. And I asked your apologies a week ago that, that you would apolo I apologize for my hard heart. I want to live in a community that actually recognizes the importance of, of loving each other fairly and equally and, and without blemish in the sense that, you know what, we're not going to be perfect, but yet we're going to realize each other's callings and we're going to become who God called us to be. And what will come out of that will change the world because out of those seven, out of those seven disciples that we see in this position, all seven of them, with exception of John, all six of them, six died in some capacity for their faith. John just died of old age. But they laid down their lives for, their, for the people of God and they multiplied themselves for the sake of his glory. Can we pray and just ask God now in an attitude that he would move on our behalf? And I want to say this, if you've got a calling on your life or you have a dream, I, I'm going to start asking this a lot because I think sometimes we need to break down the walls and we don't like to be vulnerable and we don't want to be uh, too presumptuous. And so sometimes we sit in church, the, the one place we should be vulnerable and real and, because you're not going to get it out there, um, and, and actually say, I had something that God was doing in me and I, I laid it off to the side and I started a new pattern. Do you ever notice that there's a lot of people aren't in church anymore because they've started new patterns? It will lead them away from God. You mark my words. And yet God is calling us to a deeper place and a place of pattern here as a community. So I wanna, I wanna just, I just wanna pray. If that's you and you need prayer for these things, as we do, just raise your hand to the Lord. Um, if you need to stand up because you feel like I need to stand up, stand up. If you, if you need somebody to pray for you, just turn to the person next to you and say, can you pray for me? I need your help. Uh, it, it's not going to be prescribed because God's spirit isn't prescribed. He blows and goes wherever he wants to, anytime he wants to. It's just our responsibility to jump out of the boat. Start swimming towards the shore. And let me tell you something. If you can't swim, he'll make you get there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that in you there is, there is capacity. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move now in our midst. Lord, we're not here just to do church. That's being done other places. We're here to meet with you. We want to be your body. We want to be unified. We want to grow together. We want to accomplish great and mighty things for you. And Father, I pray right now that you would come. We just say, come Lord Jesus. Come and minister to us. Come and be with us. Father, if there is someone in this room who needs that dream revived, I pray that they would they, even right now, just raise your hand to the Lord. He'll see you. He'll answer that. 
Just, just go after God with your whole heart. If there is a pattern that you have walked into and it is destructive, it is not the right pattern, it, you, you recognize it, you're trying to break out of it, uh, the Lord just wants to meet you there. And he's gracious and kind and loving. He says, I love you, I know, I know, and I want to walk you through this. So I pray right now that you would, you would just receive the love of God. If you need more of the Holy Spirit, just ask God for more of His Spirit. He loves to pour out the Holy Spirit on those uh, who will ask. You have not because you've asked not. If you need the Holy Spirit, just ask the Lord. We're going to pause and just sit and listen. Listen.